But now winter is truly coming, and in the winter, we must protect ourselves. Look after one another. No one will take my dragons. The occasional kindness will spare you all sorts of trouble down the road. For the night is dark and full of terrors. Let me give you some advice, bastard. Never forget what you are. I meant no disrespect to you, of all people. What is dead may never die! What is dead may never die! If you want to own a sword, you better know how to use it. This war is far from over. Winter is coming. Hey everybody, this is Jonathan, and welcome to Gab of Thrones. Today we're going to be talking about Season 7, Episode 4, The Spoils of War. What's up, Jay? Man, I cannot wait to talk about this episode. Uh, I've, I've watched it three times already, uh, just because this is probably one of my favorite all-out battle scenes uh, in Game of Thrones and for a television show. I am super pumped to talk about it. Yeah, you know, I was when we started doing this um, show, I, I was just going to rewatch season seven, and because I think I did a rewatch of all the seasons last year, so I was like, yeah, I don't need to rewatch all the seasons again. But I was getting so into season seven, I'm like, let me rewatch all the seasons again. So I'm currently on season four, and uh, you can see as the years go by, the faith HBO has in the show because if you remember the first like two seasons. They didn't show any of the battles. Like, um, I think the very first battle they talk about was when Tyrion was taking the the, the hill people into battle against uh, uh, Rob Stark's forces, and he gets knocked out, and then he wakes up and the battle's over. So they would do little things like that, like the battle would end, like you see Jamie getting caught, but you don't see the battle that led to it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, doing some reading on that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, you know, they don't want to spend the money on, on to produce those battles, and and you see now, you know, four years later, the 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 faith that HBO has in it that they're willing to give the show this kind of money to do these kind of battles. I mean, this battle is epic. This battle is epic. But before we talk about that, I only just kind of kind of talk about the stuff around it that happens in this episode then because i have a feeling we're gonna spend a lot of time on the on the battle itself oh yeah it takes up uh you know i, I uh when the battle started i kind of clocked it and it's about a good it's almost a good half of the episode is is this battle so but yeah you're right there's so much that happens in this episode battle aside i mean i think this is also one of the better episodes of uh, season seven. Oh, absolutely uh, you know, when we started the podcast, I also was looking forward to doing this episode. Um, I kind of couldn't wait for it. All right, so Just what we have is last so last week, uh, Cersei uh, approaches the Iron Bank for another loan, and they're like, look, you owe us all this money already. How are you going to pay that back? And Cersei tells them, look, you're going to have that money. In two, give me two weeks, you'll have that money. So now we know how she's going to get that money. She sends – well, we knew at the end of the last episode. She sent Jamie and her army to take over High Garden. And last week's episode ended with the death of Oleana, right? Did I say yeah, mm-hmm. um, Lady Olena, yeah. Right. So basically, Jamie uh, attacks Highgarden with, um, with the, I guess the cover of get, paying them back for siding with Daenerys, because uh, Highgarden did go. The Tyrells did pledge allegiance to the Targaryens, and 
we also have Sam's brother and father, the Tarleys, right? Yeah, the Tarleys. You know, um, the Tarleys siding with, um, I guess we're saying they're, they're going against their pledge to the Tyrells, but they're sticking to their pledge to uh, the king, the Lannisters, the queen. So um, they side with Jamie and they fight a battle at Highgarden, which they do not show, and they take over Highgarden. So uh, this episode, does it open with them leaving Highgarden? Yeah, I believe it does. I believe it, it opens with them leaving Highgarden. We see, you know, yeah, I mean, the big objective was, I mean, sure, you know, the Tyrells, uh, they went against the Lannisters. They pretty much are in revolt against the Queen, but it's really to get all their gold. And let's not also forget that uh, the Reach, where Highgarden is located, uh, apparently is a very fertile area. A big war's coming, winter's coming, so they're there to get the gold, they're there to get the food, and we start with, uh, we see that trail of, I guess, the carts full of gold headed off towards King's Landing, and uh, we see Jamie and Sir Bronn, and he pays off Sir Bronn, but Bronn's not, he's, he's still not happy. He's, he's just not a happy guy. <laughs> right, I remember, I'm thinking that too, because Bronn's like, look, you promised me a castle. And he's like, I just gave you a bag of gold, you gave me like five castles. He's like, yeah, but you promised me a castle. And he goes, well, what about Highgarden? And he's like, well, I don't know if you want that one. Um, I just, it's weird. Bronze just, for a sellsword, he's done pretty well for himself, you know? And I, that got, that seemed to me was like, I don't know if they did that just to kind of highlight that Bronze really doesn't have allegiance to anybody, that he just does what he does for gain. But I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I want to say out of character, but it just seemed like a weird time for him to complain. I, I, you know, I was looking at it because, like I said, I watched this episode a couple of times, and my take on it was, in a weird sort of way, this is him bonding with Jamie. Um, I mean, obviously, he doesn't have a lot of friends. I mean, I think he considers Tyrion to be a friend of his, and but he'll gladly take his gold from him, absolutely. And I think he kind of sees Jamie the same way. Um, I always felt that Braun kind of he looks out for number one. He's always going to look out for himself. But my opinion of that kind of changes towards the end of this episode. But I, I just I, I kind of took it like I think he's still sort of like yeah I, I, I want all this stuff you know because I, I think he feels he's just as good if not a better fighter than really all these fancy lads and fancy lords as he calls them. But yet he doesn't live that lifestyle, and I think he, he desperately wants that lifestyle. But I also think he kind of wants Jamie as a friend because he, he really doesn't have many friends. Right. And, and just rethinking about it, I, I was like, well, I wonder if, if Bronn just kind of done with the whole thing. He just wants his castle. Because I think it's a previous season where he was promised a castle. And um, I remember him walking on the beach with a, with a woman that he was supposed to marry who was uh, highborn. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he's just done with all this. Like, just give, let me, you know, I have the bag of gold was nice. Obviously yeah. it was a lot of money, but he's like, all right, give my castle. I'll marry this. You know, she's okay looking, whatever. And I'll just live my life in this castle. And that'll be the end of this. Like I'm tired of, of, you know, being Tyrion's kind of enforcer. Now I'm Jamie's enforcer. Um, and even that switch from Tyrion to Jamie was kind of, it was natural, but it, 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 it's really weird now because this does put him, against Tyrion eventually when when because Tyrion is with Daenerys so what where's Bronze Allegiance going to be when that all happens um so maybe he's just it, this is 
he's not one for the politics. And I think he just, he's like, you know, this is getting really complicated. Just let me get my land, my house, my, my, my wife and my gold. And then I'll just, you guys kill each other and I'll just chill. Yeah. I mean, even like as the scene closes, um, you know, again, he's, he's asking for the castle and Jamie tells him, he goes, look, you stay with me. We win the war. You, you, there's going to be a hundred castles left over and I'll give you as many as you like. And he kind of has the line. He says, yeah, because Cersei's reign is going to be just long and peaceful. Mm. You know, he, he, he knows, he, he knows. I think, I, I think he, in the end, I think Bronn looks out for himself. He looks out for number one, but still, I think he does kind of want to have some kind of a friendship with somebody. I think right. he, he, he feels like he'll be complete. Right. You know, he's got, he's got the money. He's a great fighter. But, you know, hey, having a friend or two isn't a bad thing. Yeah, he's almost like Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. I'm getting too old for this. Yes. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. You know, um, so, all right, so that's where we open up. And so the money's there to repay uh, the bank, and that's exactly what Cersei does. I think they send the, the gold ahead to get it to King's Landing as quick as possible. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. she pays the bank back and then just basically turns around and, and – and asked them about, um, I believe, another loan. Uh, but she also, and maybe you can shed some light on this for me. Okay, go ahead. She brings up the the golden something over at Essos. The golden company. Now, yeah. Is that a is that a bank or is that like a cell swords, like an army? I, she- I think it's actually a mercenary army. And um, if you look at the trailer, you know, the trailer for season eight. There's a scene where we see Greyjoy ships, and on those ships are men in golden armor. So to me, these are not just like thugs or, or – uh, they're almost sort of like the Unsullied. Maybe they're even better than the Unsullied. But this, what's interesting here is she pays off the bank, and obviously she wants to borrow from them again. But they're very eager to jump right back in. They're like, oh, well, we, we'd love to help you out. Like, you know, this guy from the bank – he, you know, he's very fancy. He he doesn't come out and say it. Let's finance a war. He's like, oh, what other sort of endeavors would you like to get into? You know, right. like 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 she's going to be inventing something, and he's going to throw his money into. I mean, we all know what's going on, but it's not. She doesn't have to convince him very much. The the Iron Bank loves this. This is well, this is the, how they make their money. Yeah. yeah, it seems the Iron Bank sees the war kind of favoring Cersei and they want to be on the winning side because they know there'll be a lot of money to be had once she rules the whole continent of Westeros, you know? So they're like, yeah, let's, let's, let's back the winner and let's, uh, let's reap the benefits from it. Um, he even says, he goes, you know, they're, they're glad you paid us back, but they're a little upset that you paid us back so quickly. We were enjoying your interest payments. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, I mean, and they know, and they know, they know what's going on. They know what's going on in the world. So, they're like, yeah, we don't have those great Lannister, uh, you know, payments coming in anymore. But they're ready to go to war. So if we get involved, th- those payments are going to start coming back in. It's it's a win win for everybody. Okay, all right, good. So so we are we are going in some shit. The Golden Company is a mercenary group, which is um, I just did do look it up on a wiki of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. and in in the books, that's exactly what the Golden Company are. So interesting. Cool. So she's got her own little army. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So um, where do we go from here? Let's go to oh, yep. let's go to Winterfell. One of the best. Mo- well, no, you know, let's go to Dragonstone first, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. So uh, John uh, Daenerys is walking with 
Misandry. I was gosh, these names. Yep, Misandry. Right. <laughs> Misandry. And basically, you know, she lets it known to Daenerys that her and Grey Worm got a little something something going on and they they almost get into that conversation about what exactly that something something entailed. Um, many John, things. <laughs> she <laughs> yeah, says many, many things. <laughs> and Daenerys is like, many things? <laughs> She's like, girl, um, we gotta talk later. <laughs> yeah. So so even eunuchs can uh, can find love, I guess. So it's yeah. just good for them. So <clears throat> so John uh, uh, motions over to Daenerys to come with him and they go into the 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 cave, the cavern. Um he first he shows her the obsidian uh, that they're gonna be mining and he basically says mm-hmm. this is all where we're gonna need. Um not that they're not that they don't need a lot, but that there's plenty there. And then he takes her further back into the cave to show her drawings of from uh Children of the Forest. Yes. And then drawings of that men made saying uh and he uses as an example of how they worked together, how they were enemies at one time. But they work together to fight, and then there's drawings of White Walkers. Um, and he says it to Daenerys in his cave, you know, like we have to do. And Daenerys, shockingly, upon first viewing, it was shocking because she's like, I will pledge you my man. I will pledge you. I will fight with you. I will defend the North. So you're thinking, like, wow, she did a one Yeah. And yeah. then she goes, but you have to bend the knee. And like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was – it was really good because I thought, like, Finally, like he he made that connection with her. He's like, you know, look, they were enemies. They worked together. These are real. These White Walkers. And the way this scene was acted out, you know, the dramatic pause, because I really thought like this is it like they're this was the alliance. Not just yet. Yeah. So and John, to his credit, because up to this point, John has been the guy that, you know, there's kind of like. I don't want to say he's no pride, but there's no there's no error about him in the decisions he makes. It's just going to benefit the cause and and his his goal, which is selfless. He's not you know he's not seeking power. He's seeking to protect everybody. John had no problem doing it. You know whether it's bringing in the wildlings and making them part of of the fight, or whether it was um, forgiving the um, uh, the the houses that went against him that sided with mm-hmm. the Boltons. He's willing to do what he needs to do to get this fight done. But this is the thing he just can't do. And it has nothing to do about him. It has to do about the promise he made to the people that made him king. And I love that about him. Yeah, I mean, he really he really sticks to his convictions because he, he very easily could do that. He's a thousand miles away. He could bend the knee. He could make up a story, you know, do whatever. But he knows if he does that, he's betraying the trust that the people put in him because again you know i think we said this last time he's not a highborn he's not trained in these political dealings and and games he's a man of the people and you know much like his father it's it's honor and and trust and you know your your word is your bond and he told them i'm going to go down there i'm going to get the dragon glass i'm going to try to get her on our side but i'm not bending the knee and he's sticking to it yeah yeah it's it's really good. So later, when they leave the cave, Tyrion and Varys um, uh, approach her and let her know that yeah, the the Unsullied took Castle Rock, but there's a problem. And it's funny because she's like, she's like, that's great news. And then you can see the looks on their faces. And she's like, is that not great news? And then they have that look on yeah. their face. <laughs> so they're like, they don't show the scene where they tell her, but they they cut quickly to where they're walking. 
And she is pissed. Oh, yeah. And she's just basically like, look, I'm sick. She's like, I followed your plan, Tyrion. She's like, I just keep losing. I've lost half my army. And he's like, well, you still got more people than, you know, the queen. And she's like, you know, are you fighting for... She, she reminds them that they're losing to his family members. Yes. And she's also calling... And this is the first time she's ever called into question his loyalty to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the way the show goes, upon first viewing, you're wondering... Well, is Tyrion Tyrion playing some kind of long game? You know, um, because sure. it's it's stunning from the first episode, um, from the end of season six to the first episode of season seven, where it just looks like Daenerys is ready to dominate. Where it's all falling apart. First, she loses, uh, you know, her Greyjoy armada. Then she mm-hmm. loses Highgarden. Um, now the Unsullied are, are stranded at Casterly Rock. You know, they're gonna have to march back to. Um, Dragonstone without food or you know provisions that you need to make that kind of march. Uh, yeah, so it looks like it's all all falling apart for her. And she says, "I've got, I should, I'm going to do what I was going to do, what I should have done in the beginning. I got three dragons. I'm going to go burn the Red Keep down." Um, and she's, she's advised against it, and she finally asks John, who's walking with her, John and Davros, or Devros, Davros, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Who, um, Devros. <laughs> About um, you know what what she what she should do, and John's like, look, this isn't my thing. This is your thing, and and he, she's like, no, you're here. I want to know, and he gives her some really good solid advice. He's like, look, people follow you because they believe in you because they they you seem to do you you seem to make possible impossible things. He goes, that's why they keep following you because they think you're going to continue to do that. And he says, if you go around burning down cities and and castles, then you're just another you know another um a person that does those things you know it's nothing new about that so i think john's i think she backs away from that decision because of what john says to her yeah and it's really interesting because this is advice that she has gotten before uh you know this is not the first she's hearing of this i mean Tyrion told her this because that was her plan from the beginning is and this is something i notice about her She's very complex because she's very impulsive. When she hears the plan is falling apart, she's like, I'm hopping on my dragons. I'm torching the place. But then it's almost like she takes a breath and is sort of like, okay, give me some options. I need some advice now. But she's heard this before. Tyrion told her, look, if you go in there, he goes, you could do it. You could do it today. Fly your dragons there. Take your Dothraki, your Unsullied, and just ransack the Red Keep. War's over. But nobody's going to trust you ever again because you're pretty much more, more of the, the same. same yeah yeah john pretty much tells her that but i i think she sees in john that he is such an honest individual he firmly believes that so he makes her believe it i think she was ready to do it i really think she was ready to just mm-hmm. say i'm taking the dothraki i'm taking my dragons i'm ending this but john is just plain he's plain and honest and she's like okay you convinced me Right, and like I said, I've been rewatching past seasons, and Daenerys had this knack of whatever she decides to do is always the right decision. You know, whether whether it was trusting, um, uh, oh my god, what are those guys' names? The, who's the mercenary army? The Unsullied or the uh, no, the uh, oh, the, the Sons, the. Um... I know which ones you're talking. The ones that were defending the slave. Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, whether it's trusting the second Arios, sons, is that the, the second name? sons? Yeah, second sons. 
mm-hmm. whether it's trusting Darius or um, uh, you know her plan to to you know trade the dragon for Din and Sully and having that whole thing come together, she's mm-hmm. really she hasn't been wrong. She's had that faith in herself, which created the faith in other people in her. So for her to second guess herself, um, or even to be. It's almost like, look, I believed you, Tyrion, because, you know, I trusted you. I went against my original thought of how I should approach this war, which he hadn't had to do up to this point, and it's falling apart. And so it's almost like she's mad at herself for not following through with what she originally wanted to do. Um, hmm. But okay. going with John, I, th- I think you're right. I think she understands the type of leader he is because he's a natural leader, and I think he understands – He's he's a leader, kind of in the way that she is. You know, he never he never led by fear or demanded people follow him. He led by example, and people are, you know, he didn't ask all the lords of the north to bend the knee to him. They did that voluntarily. You know, uh, you know, he was elected. He yeah. went from steward. He went from steward to um, commander of the Night's Watch because of his deeds and how he led. So. I think she feels uh, like a kinship, almost literally, which we'll find out later. But <laughs> right, but well, I mean, the other thing I think is is you know she's the daughter of a of a king, you know he as from what we know up to this point, you know he's he's the son of uh, Ned Stark, and they sort of look at it like, look, our generation did it completely wrong, and she sees that John's not doing what that old guard used to do. And she's probably thinking his advisors are probably telling him just torch and burn and, and march your armies and do this. He's doing it a different way. If he could do it a different way. And that's my goal. I want to do it. Cause she, she says she wants to break the wheel. She wants to end this cycle, but yet her impulse is to do more of the same. But when she sees that John, who's a very honest person is doing it, that way he's doing it sort of what she feels is the right way i think that's why she also buys into it she's sort of like yeah our generation is going to do it differently and you're doing it so you know what i'm going to do it too yeah yeah so she makes a good decision to not burn down the rail well, anytime you make a decision not to burn something down i think is a good idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have that and then we have um finally a dragonstone uh you know cuts away to other parts of the story and then he cuts back so uh, we come across John and Devros um, kind of walking down those thousands of stairs and running into <laughs> running into Miss Andre and and basically, um, well, what's the funny thing Davros Devros has is that um, he says something about uh, Daenerys and and John says something like she's very brave or something like that or smart or whatever, and he goes mm. uh, intelligent. I think he says, and, and Devros goes, "Yes, I could sell." How you were staring at her intelligence? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I think the line was: "Is he? He? He says, what do you think?'" And he says, "John says, well, she has a good heart.'" And he's like, oh, "Yeah, I yeah. noticed. I noticed you're staring at her heart." Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, and he goes, oh, "Speaking of good-hearted people." <laughs> well, well, John goes, "Look, we ain't got time for that." He goes, "Yeah, time for that." Yeah. Um, again, then they run to Miss Andre, and Miss Andre basically tells John that why they follow the Queen. They don't follow her because they're forced to. Uh, she knows that she can leave anytime. If she wanted to go home tomorrow, Daenerys would give her a boat and wish her well. Mm-hmm. And and John goes, you believe that? He go, and she goes, no, I know this. Um, and that goes to the point of Tyrion telling him in the previous episode 
look, talk to the people that know her, figure out why they follow her, and you'll get a better insight into who this woman is. Yeah, and I mean, you, you could see she's very, she's very firm in her statement when she says it. You know, she she says uh, also she goes, we didn't, we don't call her queen because her father, who we didn't know, because he comes from a distant land and he's long gone. That's not why she's our queen. We believe in her, and the whole exchange too about if I wanted to go home, she would send me home. And John's like, you believe it. I mean, you could see the affirmation. She, she's just like, I know it. Right. And and it ends with Davos going, uh, would you be mad at me if I switched sides all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. Davos got some good lines in this episode. <laughs> he really yeah. does. It ends with that, but they also see a Greyjoy ship coming uh, coming to shore. So they yes. go down to the beach to meet the, 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 uh, the expedition coming from the ship. And this is, I remember seeing this for the first time. This is when Theon comes back after being defeated by Euron. And I could not wait. You know, this season is all about reunions, which we're going to talk about a bigger reunion in a second. Yes. But now we have uh, Theon seeing John for the first time since they separated at the King's Road when he went north and and Theon went with um, Rob. With Rob. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, actually, my bad. He was on King's Road. Well, they left Winterfell because Theon and Rob stayed back at Winterfell. And, um, right. And uh, so, but John, but John's well aware of the treachery of, of at this point, I think they still believe Bray, uh, uh, Recon and Bran are, are, well, he knows, he knows Recon because he died at the yeah, Battle of the Bastards. Yes. So, but he knows, he knows the rumors basically, and he knows that um, of the treachery and that he took over with the fell. So this is the one time where I didn't want John to do the right thing. And look, I know, you know, you, 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 could, you could take the side that Theon is paid many times over for what he did um, by, by uh, Ramsey. But I just, mm-hmm. not that he had to kick the crap out of him, but one nice punch to the face, just as soon as he walked up to him, would have been perfect, I thought. But instead he greets him with, you know, if, if, if you didn't do what you did for sounds, you'd be dead right now. I'd be, you know, I'd, be, I'd kill you right now. And, and I believe it. And, and yeah, on the one hand, I would think like, come on, just, just hit him one time. Yeah, I mean, just the it, once. You know, for for everything that he did, but I mean, the fact that he really risked his life to get Sansa out of there, and you also have to think too that Sansa also had to tell John what happened to Theon and how he was reek and this and that. But you could see, I think he was struggling with it. He was sort oh, of yeah. like, "Well, I don't have to kill him. I could hurt I him real bad." <laughs> That's all I was saying. I was just like, "Just hit him once. Just hit him once." Because yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's the same reason he let Littlefinger get away. He's like, look, you, you know, you helped save us to battle the bastards, and you did get you did get Sansa out of King's Landing. But, you know, you know he wanted to punch Littlefinger. Oh, too. God, yeah. I'm like, Come oh, on. yeah. John, you got to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think he will in the, in the coming season. He's going to punch people and do a lot more than that. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's uh, Theon, and he's like, I've come to ask the queen to help me get uh, uh, Yara back. Mm-hmm. And then they say the queen's not here. And we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, cause... The queen. <laughs> so before we get to that, let's talk about what's going on over at Winterfell. Oh, lots, lots. And can I tell you, I love the Stark children so much because Littlefinger, every episode this season, Littlefinger is slowly losing his, like, his tricks aren't working. His entire mm-hmm. life, his lies, 
His manipulations have been working on everybody his entire life. But for, for some reason, the Stark children are immune to his uh, lies and his treachery because Catelyn never understood it. Ned never understood it. But the kids get it. The kids get it. So, she, you know, Littlefinger's talking to Bran, who... Um, and I think this episode also really highlights this really, really almost PTSD changes that all the Stark children went through. Oh, um, you see yeah. it in their eyes. You see it in, in how they speak, how they interact, even with each other, but how they interact with other people. Um, so Bran's here with Littlefinger, and Bran's just checked out. Bran's pretty much done. He's like, Bran's not around. And Mira says it later in the, in the scene. But, yeah, um, that he's, so, yeah. You want me to talk about that scene, the Littlefinger brand scene? Well, I mean, the first thing is, and, you know, you mention this all the time, how this guy's in the shadows. And, you know, watching it on a, watching it on a device, watching it on TV, this guy's in the shadows. He even dresses for it. I mean, his clothes are pretty much all black so that even if he's just a bit in the shadows, you can barely see this guy. And he's trying to establish a uh, sort of a relationship with Bran. He's like, here's the dagger that was used to kill you or, or to try to kill you. And you, you could see that he's, you know, oh, the, the one that killed your mother, I, I would have taken it for you. Like, he's trying all these lines. He's really trying to sweet talk Bran. But Bran is a three-eyed raven. So, like you said, he's completely checked out. What's very interesting about this is... I think Littlefinger starts to realize, like, okay, I'm not getting through. Like, he, he might even think uh, maybe Bran's a little lost in the head here from being out behind the wall. He says to him, oh, you know, I feel bad for you. You came back uh, to this world full of chaos. And Bran looks him right in the eyes and says, chaos is a ladder, which jump all the way back to season one when uh, Varys and Littlefinger are having a conversation and Varys talks about chaos his line right back to him is, well, chaos is a ladder. And you could see what little color is in his face drain out. He's almost sort of like, how do you know that line? Right. Oh, uh, and, and like you said, this is where he sees like, okay, I'm losing it with Sansa. I can't even get it started here with Bran. Well, that's one question to you. What was his goal? What was his goal with Bran? To get him I, on his side? Or I, like, what was, I don't understand his... Was it because he felt Sansa slipping away from him that he was trying to shore up his relationship with Bran? Well, Sansa slipping away from him, and if you think about it, he is the last living male heir of Ned Stark. So that's, technically, oh, he's he's the Lord of Winterfell. So let me get the Lord of Winterfell on my side. Lady Winterfell, I'm losing it with her. This is going to be my next in. So let 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 me let me try something here. Well, he knows he's not going to make any headway with John. And Bran has already refused the title of Lord of Winterfell, and that's why they elected John. Well, not elected, but that's why they named John uh, King. Of, well, one of the reasons that John was willing to take the title King of the North, because mm-hmm. John is the type of guy that if Bran was willing to do it, he'd he'd let Bran do it. Um. So, so this is so is it safe to say that this is Littlefinger grasping? As, and but this is my thing. I was thinking about this too. It's like he's the Lord of the was it the Airy? Is that what they call it? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, Knights of the Vale, Lord of the Eerie. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, I mean, Robin is, I guess, until he comes of age. Um, yeah, but he's he's already he's already got a plan for that. So. Right, so what, what's his goal here? Why does he need Winterfell? Why does he need a Stark child on his side? I don't, 
Like, I didn't understand that. Why not just be Lord of the Eyrie and, you know, kill Robin eventually, which is, of course, is probably in his plan somewhere. Well, <laughs> I think his ultimate plan is to sit on the Iron Throne. And if he gets the Lord of Winterfell in his pocket, he gets the North in his pocket. Uh, and, I mean, that's pretty powerful. You control a pretty good portion of Westeros now. So he's... You know, he's we see it now. He's been playing the Game of Thrones since season one and even before that with all his plans and and, uh, whatnot. So he's like, yeah, I I control the Knights of the Vale. That's nice. And he could settle there and live comfortably and be very wealthy. He wants that Iron Throne. So he is going to get the biggest pieces on the chessboard that he can. And if he gets the North, that's pretty substantial. Well, the funny thing is, is at no point in this series do you think he's ever a viable option to be sitting on that throne. So the fact that he thinks he's he's a viable option as opposed to Cersei or John or Daenerys or you know even when when the five kings were all alive, it's such a weird thing that he thinks he would be able to consolidate that kind of power. It's weird, but when you look at his personality, I mean he's he has that type of personality. He feels that he really came from nothing. And he's almost like a self-made man, and he knows in his heart of hearts he's better than he's better than Ned ever was. He's better than Rob ever was, and Cersei, and you know, name them all. He knows that he's better. That throne was made for him. Well, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm not. I'm just. I just maybe because I'm the viewer and I see everything that was happening. You know, we see everything that they might not see. The characters mm-hmm. might not know is happening, but he's. He's not he's not a good game player. He doesn't play like Cersei did, and he didn't play like um I mean he manipulated people, but he manipulated people that were very trusting. Ned, Catelyn, you know, even Var Varys was even smart enough to know, you know, like, come on, little finger, you're not gonna manipulate me. You know, Sansa. All the people that manipulate are people that would are, you know, no offense to them, but they're trusting, honest people, and frankly, they're easy to manipulate those type of people with with basic well, lies, you know what I mean? Sure, but I think the difference is is a lot of those people that you named come from wealth and power and have armies at their disposal. He he's got to put these things together. He he really when we start, he runs a bunch of brothels. Right. That's all he has. He well, doesn't no, have an army. Points. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't really have an army or anything, but now he has the Knights of the Vale. Maybe he'll also get everybody in the north. So Unlike the Lannisters, who just have a rich tradition of wealth and power and armies, he has to put it together. So this is how he has to do it. And I think he almost sort of feels like, I'm going to earn that Iron Throne. Everybody else, it was handed to them, and they come from wealth, and they didn't have to work for their armies and their wealth. I did. I deserve it. All right. I see what you're saying. I just don't expect – I don't think he's a good game player. Oh, in, God, in no. In sense of things. Um, yeah, so, uh, but like I said, it's great watching these episodes as he's just slowly losing, his 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 manipulations aren't working, his lies aren't working, um, so he gives Bran the Valyrian Steel knife from way back in episode two, when they tried to kill Bran, actually he was in a coma in the bed, and mm-hmm. uh, at this point, I'm still not sure, so back then, Littlefinger said, this was my dagger, but I lost it in a bet to Tyrion. And that's why Catelyn believed Tyrion killed uh, or tried to kill Bran. Yes. 
Do we know that he actually lost it to who do you lose it to, Jamie? He I think he lost it to Jamie, right? I think he 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 might have. Yeah. It's a very convoluted, but it's in this in this presentation here, what he's saying to Bran is, you know, because Bran said, Well, who did this belong to? And he's like, ah, that's the question, isn't it? Like, he, he's acting like he doesn't know the story behind this dagger. Right. But he full well knows the story behind the dagger. So it's, yeah, again, he's he's just playing games here. But I think he realizes he's not getting through to Bran. Bran is checked out, and he's like, okay, what next? Who, who, who can I work on next? Right. So he leaves uh, Bran, and, and uh, Bran's very flat affect, very... And I think, and you're right. And he very much scares Littlefinger when he repeats his um, remark about chaos as a ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he leaves, and then Mira comes in. Uh, Mira, who's been with Bran for many seasons now, her brother dies protecting Van- Bran. Mm-hmm. She almost died. Hodor dies protecting Van. Uh, his direwolf, uh, Summer, dies. Summer, yeah. Um, and Mira's is like, look, if if the White Walkers are coming, I need to be with my family. Uh, so I'm going to leave. Yeah. And Bran is very, uh, again, flat affect. He's like, okay. Yeah. And this, this kind of upsets Mira because she wants some emotion from him. Like, not just gratitude, but I think, you know, I'm, I'll miss you and thank you for all you've done. Uh, and she reminds him of everything that she lost in protecting him and getting him to be to the, to the Three-Eyed Raven and then ultimately becoming the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, yeah. So she's upset about it. And, you know, this reminded me a lot of Dr. Manhattan in the in the Watchmen. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Brand remind, like he's just is this is disconnect from humanity, you know. And he even says Brand's gone, you know. Brand's Brand's Brand died, and Miria goes, "Yeah, I guess he died in that in that cave or wherever they were that under that tree." Um. So it was really really good scene. I had forgotten about that. That Brand, the Brand we knew is is pretty much gone and you know you could tell when Sansa hugs him when he first arrives at Winterfell he doesn't really react yeah. uh, so he 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 said Bran Stark is, is gone yeah, I don't think he used the word dead but Mira does but uh, he doesn't and I think this, this scene really really hammers that home yeah it really does because I think I don't know if it's this one or the next one where he, he says I remember what it was like to be Brandon Stark. So he's really the three-eyed raven now. And it's just, it's it's amazing because no acknowledgement of everything they went through. Like, she, you know, she says, I have to go, like you said, she, I have to go back to my family. He just says, okay. And she's like, well, that's all you have to say. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> like, th- it's gone. Like, Bran is gone. The three-eyed raven is here. And... You know, we're about to get another Stark child coming in and have a reunion there. And, yeah, when we get the three of them together, I mean, you really kind of see the scars and everything, all the trauma they went through. Mm -hmm. And these are not the same three happy-go-lucky kids from the first episode, season one. Like, those kids are long gone now. Right, right. Where they were all – I mean, if you remember – Arya would tease Sansa, and, and then mm-hmm. Bran, Bran, there was a scene where Bran was chasing Arya around because she, she was a better archer than him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's gone. So we go, we, we move to the, the front gates. Uh, they open it with a scene of Arya on her horse, 
kind of, you know, miles away from Winterfell, kind of looking at it. And then they, they cut to her coming to the gate. And then they have, like, a little almost Keystone Cop thing where the two guards are like, you know, you're not the daughter. You know, you don't, you don't belong here. Hit the road. And she's like, well, go get Meister so-and-so and go get uh, Roderick. And they're like, who are mm-hmm. these people? You know, people that yeah. died seasons ago. Um, so they eventually let her in. And then she she goes away. And the, and the two guys at the, the gate go to Sansa, they're apologizing, we lost her, we don't know what happened to her, and Sansa knows I know where she is, and finds her in the catacombs at the statue of her father. Now, this is a really great reunion, because they haven't seen each other since King's Landing. Yeah, since first um, season. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, does Sansa know that she, those those dancing lessons were sword lessons and stuff like this? Because a lot of this episode with Sansa and Arya is just Sansa reacting to just how much Arya has changed. Um, yeah, I, I I still think she thought it thought of it as silly dancing lessons because in this exchange we get um, Arya asks her, she's like, "So I heard you killed Joffrey," and she's like, "No, but I wish I did." And that whole exchange, and this is where she brings up her list, and mm-hmm. you know, and she's like, "What list? What are you talking about?" She's like, "Oh, the list of people I'm going to kill." And Sansa laughs because she's like, "Oh, you, you're just." Josh and me and Arya kind of like I guess almost as she was taught as like uh, you know a uh, many faced man she kind of buys into oh yeah ha, 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 I'm just kidding I'm just kidding right but we see later on that Sansa sees that Arya really has changed but one, one thing about this scene the two guys guarding the front gate are you kidding me like these are <laughs> the guys you get to go this is the front gate of Winterfell right and you get these two morons. I mean, come on already. The well, door's think, wide open. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that, and then I realized, like, well, the war's taken a lot of, <laughs> you know, they, the, the Stark <laughs> better. The best and brightest. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, the red, between, because I recently watched the Red Wedding a couple of days ago. Um, and I'm like, man, they, they really took a lot of the, a lot of the yeah, main. Yeah, they lost a lot. The good yeah. fighters. <laughs> so, you know, you take what you can get. Um, I guess. So, yeah, I, I love the scene in the catacombs because, Again, they're, they're, they're really shipped that siblings was very adversarial when they were younger. But here they hug. They've been hugged twice. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, they're genuinely happy to see each other. And it was really, really great just, just to see Arya, Arya back home. And and the scene where she's waiting for the where the guards are discussing who should go tell Sansa. And Arya's just sitting on the cart. She's looking around. And it's just so different. She's She's remembering and how different it was the last time she saw it. But then her yeah. eyes lock on the... the, the uh, the Stark sigil, ban- sigil banner, which is the wolf, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's when she decides to go down to the catacombs. Um, yeah, so so later, mm-hmm. Rianne is is training Podrick and beating Podrick up pretty much and training him how to be a knight. And uh, well, well, right before that, uh, I think that's where all three reunite because oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, she says, you know, Bran's back too. So they go out. Uh, he's out by that that tree, um, which I guess has much significance to the Northmen. I'm still not quite sure. And they reunite, but then, you know, he shows her the dagger, and they get to talking about Littlefinger. And I think this is like where they're all realizing, you know, he's he's definitely up to no good. <clears throat> Right, and not only that, but Bran gives the dagger to Arya because Bran knows 
what Ari is, you know, because he's that three-eyed raven now, knows kind of what she's been through and knows what her skill set is now. So he wisely gives the Valerian Steel Dagger to Arya. Mm-hmm. And I think this is such a great, great moment because, and even Sansa, I think, as Sansa's slowly discovering who the new Arya is, the quote-unquote new Arya is, is taken aback that Bran would give her the dagger. Like, well, what's the point of giving her the dagger? But it, re- it was really touching for me because then I, 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 it made me realize, I'm like, Arya's got two weapons, and they were both given to her by her brothers. She's got Needle mm-hmm. from Jon Snow, and now right. she's got the dagger from Bran. And you know they're going to come into play somewhere along the line. Yeah. Yeah, and he also sort of reconfirms her list, right? You know, he because he mentions it. He mentions the list, and she's like, "What do you mean list?" He's like, "Oh, list of people she's going to kill," and that's when I think Sansa's like, "Oh, she's not joking," right? Right? Yeah. And and it's uh, it's a really great scene to see the three of them back together. Yeah, because then they 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 then they come in, and that's when Brienne and Patrick are walking, and this was a great scene. It's a small scene, but. She's smiling. She sees all the Stark children or what's left of the Stark children reunited. And Podrick tells her, you know, you did it. You you kept your vow to Lady Catelyn. Uh, you know, you protected her daughters. And she's like, I, I hardly did anything. And he's he says to her, my lady, you're too hard on yourself. And she goes to cut him off, you know, by saying that she's not a lady, but she just stops herself. And she she finally accepts a little bit of gratitude. I mean, she's such an honor bound woman. But I think she finally realizes, you know, she does deserve a pat on the back, and she has a lot of respect for Podrick. Yeah, and and I think the thing about Brienne, Brienne and her personality is she's a part of her. She she feels like she's failed. You know, she feels like she failed Renly. She felt like mm-hmm. she failed Catelyn. I think in a way, she feels like she failed Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I've been doing my rewatch, I mean, a lot of this past week, the episodes have been uh, when they were together, when Jamie and and. Brienne have been together and um you know when he gives her this he gives her oathkeeper and her armor and, and sees her off I was sitting there thinking I'm like you know what Brienne is who Jamie would be with if Jamie was the better person he wish he could be I thought I you know I thought the exact same thing uh also in the scene where Sansa sends her to River Run, River Run to try to convince the Blackfish to come and fight she meets with Jamie. She says, look, let me go in there. Let me talk to him. The whole thing falls apart. And at the end, her and Podrick are rowing away. And Jamie sees her mm-hmm. and very easily could, you know, call some archers, whatever. But he kind of gives her like a farewell wave and she returns it. And I'm like, you know, these two need to be together. They're, they're just so perfect for each other. Well, if, if there is a path of redemption for Jamie, it's going to lead to or through Brienne, I believe. Absolutely. Because Brienne is basically the knight that Jamie feels like he should be. And, and there's a part of me that feels like Jamie, Jamie kind of decided mm-hmm. he can't be an honorable knight the minute he stuck the, 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 the sword through the Mad King's back. Because the weird thing is this. As I, as I rewatched the show. Yeah. It had to be done. The Mad King had to be killed, but he's mm-hmm. constantly catching crap. And you know, in this in this world of honor, he's constantly catching crap for being for stabbing him in the back. Like they call him Kingslayer as a, 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 a as a as a it's derogatory. A it's a derogatory it, term. Yeah, he hates it. He hates being called the Kingslayer. Um, but he's like, what was to be done? He was killing children. He was murdering. You know, he was doing this. He's like, what else was I going to? You know, he was sworn to protect. 
he was the Kingsguard, right? So he yes. was supposed to. So he he that that devastated him personally, and I, I don't know if he had a, well he must have had a relationship with Cersei or maybe not. I don't know if they had a relationship with Cersei yet, but I just feel like he at that moment when he killed the king, he felt like his ability to be an honorable knight was gone, and I think he sees Brienne as someone that no matter what can was able is able to hold on to her honor and do the right thing and. There's definitely affection there from both sides. Um, oh, I, when they journeyed together, when Catelyn told her, look, I want my children back. Take him to King's Landing. Make the exchange. And they're traveling the road. She despises him. Right. You know, you're not a real knight. You have no honor. She she proudly calls him Kingslayer until they have that moment. I believe they're they're in the baths together. And he tells her. He tells her the story of what really happened. Right. And he even, he even adds in there and he says, you know, he knows he's like, I know it. And now, you know what I did the right thing. But when Ned Stark came in there with all his honor and pride and, you know, I was spat on. And that's when she sees he is a good knight. And I think her struggle with him throughout this entire series is she's trying to pull that out of him. She's like, that 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 guy's not gone. That honorable knight, you are Sir Jamie. I yeah. believe in it, and she tries to pull it out of him. It's 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 a great relationship. Yeah. It's a Luke Vader relationship, just without all the incest. Hey, he lost his hand. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the <laughs> Luke Vader relationship. When you think about it. So um, anyway, so so she's really hard on herself. She doesn't see herself as a successful knight, which is all she ever wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, you're right. I think with the help of Podrick and, and, and the girls being together and stuff like that, she's, she's allowing herself some like a little victory saying, you know, maybe I did have a part in this. Maybe I did do a good thing. Yeah. Um, so later on, she's practicing with Podrick kicking his butt. And <laughs> you see Aria, yeah. you see Aria come into the, into the uh, area. And the best part is this. Aria is probably the shortest member of this cast. Oh, yeah, I was going to say the, the, di- the dynamic between yeah. these two when they switch the camera angles, it, it's almost comical. And I mean, Brienne's at least two and a half Arya's tall. <laughs> you <know? laughs> there you go. And um, she's like, "Look, I want to fight." You know, I, 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 it's been a while since I practiced, and she and Brienne's like, "Well, let me get the man at arms to practice with you." And she's like, "No, I want to practice with you know." She, no, what she said, the man at arms didn't didn't almost kill the hound or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and Brienne's a little look at her like, "Girl, I'm gonna kick your butt." And then she's like, "Well, let me get your real sword." She's like, "No, neither will be fine." She's like, "All right." So in the beginning, she was a little easy on her. And Arya and I don't. I, I hope Maisie Williams did these stunts because they were fantastic. Um, oh yeah, the way she moved. You know, it really. Serio uh, Pharrell, who was her quote unquote dance teacher, said that that men are water or people are water. You know, and the fluidity with it with which Arya moves in this scene is fantastic, um, especially uh, juxtaposed with Brienne just kind of hacking and slashing. Um, the way she moves and avoids hits and things like that is fantastic. And she's getting hits on, on Brienne and Brienne's just always look at her in amazement. They're like, how did you get this close to me? How did you get the point that close to my throat? Things like that. Uh, at one point, Brienne just takes a big foot and kicks her to the ground. And you yeah. think, oh boy, see, and no matter how good Arya is, bigger is always going to be smaller. And then Arya just kind of does like a, a jump up and, and twisty turny thing. And she's ready to go again. And, 
uh, just a great, and then she even even she loses a needle in the fight. Yeah, and she she busts out the dagger, and uh, yeah. So Brienne shows her some respect, saying, "All right, you got skills." And Sansa <laughs> and Littlefinger were watching this, and that's where Sansa's like, "This is not my little sister that I thought uh-huh. was," you know. Absolutely, so she realizes that, and even Littlefinger looks a little like, "Ooh." Because uh, she looks up at Littlefinger, I think, right? Yeah, because I think they both look up, and Sansa kind of departs, and it's Brienne who's looking up, and then she sees that Littlefinger's left there, so she has a look on her face because she does not like him. And Arya sees her, then she looks up as well, and she's sort of like, Ugh, yeah, you, you're still here. <laughs> now, I did some, I did some research. Uh, mm-hmm. Right before he mar- she marries... Tyrion, she says she's 14. He asks how old you are, says he's 14. Yes. On the official wiki, it says at the end of season, whatever, seven, she's she's 20. Okay. So between the marriage and now, there's six years. Uh, That doesn't include from when they left from the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. She might have been like 12 or 13 in the beginning of the show because time had to have passed between – yeah, absolutely. She married Tyrion. So you're talking about these these kids haven't seen each other for six, seven, maybe ten years at this point. Maybe not yeah. ten. Um, but that's a lot of years. And because then, then you're thinking, oh, how did it? the thing about the show is it's bad in, in regard to for me, it's it's bad in the passage of time. You know, was she with the no name uh many faced people for years? Well, mm-hmm. probably to get that good. You know what I mean? How long did she travel with the hound with? Probably at least six months to a year, maybe. At least, you know, yeah. I think, just yeah. All, all these different things. You know, how long was, was Sansa at King's Landing? How long was Sansa at um, um, the Airy, you know, mm-hmm. the Vale? So all the, you know, how long was John uh, north of the Wall? How, you know, just that kind of thing. So this, yeah. this really is good perspective. If you look at Sansa being 20 here, and when she married Tyrion, she was 14, so... You're talking about at least six years. So a lot of a lot of this, a lot has happened. These kids haven't seen each other in forever. Yeah. Um, also, I think what's important to note, and I don't know if it's known within the show, but Brienne Brienne has Oathkeeper, which was the sword Tywin gave to Jamie, which was made which is made of Valerian steel, but made specifically from the Valerian steel. From Ned Stark's sword. Ned Stark's, yes. And yes. we don't know, we don't know whatever, or do we know what happened to um, Joffrey? Because jo- he made two swords out of that steel, and Joffrey got the other sword. Was he buried with it? or? I'm not sure what happened with that one. Uh, or maybe whale. Widow's Well. Actually, did it go to Jamie? Like know. did Jamie did Jamie take it? Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to look that up. Yeah. <clears throat> mm, sorry. Anyway, so uh, mm-hmm. that ends Winterfell. I'm just waiting. Even when the show premiere, uh, the season premiere, I just kept like, I'm like, oh, when's John? When are they all going to be together again? So, uh, oh yeah, that's that's John. common. <laughs> so as of now, John, the brain come after John left. Yeah, Sansa's the only one and that met with him at Winterfell. Okay, yeah. so so John doesn't know about Bran or Arya yet. Nope, not yet. Unless they tend to win it, which we don't know. No, sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So finally, so uh, Dragonstone ended. The scenes at Dragonstone ended with uh, Tyrion saying, uh, well, "Not Tyrion." Uh, Theon saying, "Well, where is the queen?" 
Then they cut to Jamie and Ron being told mm-hmm. being told by the Tullys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the uh, gold is made safely to King's Landing. Uh, what you see is a caravan of there's food, horses, carts, soldiers. And as they're talking, oh, Bron gets a laugh at, at Dickon, uh, his name. And uh, yeah, again, again, why you do? Well, why do you do this to a kid? But yeah. anyway, so, um, and then Bron hears something, and yeah, this 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 guy's a vet. Yes. I mean, you have all these soldiers here, experienced leaders, and he's the one that picks it up. Yeah, and then so Jamie listens and hears it, and then him and. And uh, Sam's father start rallying the troops, sword, what, uh, spears and shields, mm-hmm. and they form up. And, oh, yeah. And this is one of the best scenes in the whole series thus far. At the horizon, you can see the Dothraki riding their horses, screaming like banshees coming over the hill toward them. And they're all set. And there's a, there's a scene. I don't know if he meant to do it on purpose, but there's a scene where they're kind of panning across the soldiers in formation, and this one dude shaking. While shaking, yeah, I saw that. I yeah, was like, man, that's awesome. And and they're ready, and you know, Bron's ready, and, and Jamie's ready. They're like, all right, whatever. You know, we fought battles. We're ready for this. And just when you think it's going to be a clash of the Dothraki and oh. these soldiers, you hear the cry of Drogon. And oh yeah, here, here comes Daenerys. Over the hill on Drogon, and nobody knows what to do. And she just says Dracarys, and whoosh, right in the middle of, of the uh, the line, she just takes out a whole a whole group of soldiers. Um, now I, I watched a behind the scenes featurette on this episode. Okay, and I think it holds the record for most men set on fire. Oh like God, most, most stunt men set on fire for uh, at once or something on TV or something like that. Is they, 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 I think they set like 12 to 15 people on fire at once. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, I, I believe it. And, um, and, I think, and, and I think what's, what's then followed up, which is even scarier, is, okay, you see the Dothraki horde. We've right. only heard, you know, these guys here, they've only heard myths and rumors about them. And here they come. All right, we'll be ready. Then you hear the dragon come, scorches right down the middle. And the Dothraki just, they just ride through the fire. Like yeah, they ride oh, through. Uh, Drogon, Drogon pretty much clears a path. I mean, it's a fire the path, but clears the yeah. path of soldiers. And they they ride through, and then they separate so they can get around the back of the soldiers. It's and then, cra- and then, crazy. but not only that, but the Dothraki ride right through the you know the horses are getting spears in them, just crazy stuff. I mean, there's this great scene where they're riding, and they did it on in unison where they hop up onto their horses. With mm-hmm. the That's just, I mean, they they hired trained, obviously skilled horseback riders for that scene it just looked great because like three or four of them they hop up on their saddles at the same time with their with their bow and arrows out i was like oh that was awesome and the battle's just mass confusion we have all these trained uh leaders and nobody's shouting out orders jamie's just i mean the pov of most of this uh scene is from jamie's point of view yes he's just looking around and everywhere he looks it's carnage he's seeing his soldiers on fire. He's seeing his soldiers turn to ash instantly. He's seeing the Dothraki slicing and dicing his soldiers. He doesn't shout one order out. You know, Bronn is uh, riding a horse, um, you know, going up against a Dothraki soldier. Dude cuts the horse's leg out and Bronn falls and Jamie, oh, well, I'm sorry, before this, Jamie's like, dude, get the... Uh, <laughs> get the giant crossbow. <laughs> yeah. And, and Bronn's like, you get it. He goes, I can't shoot with one hand. 
And Braun's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I'd love to get it. And this is a fight Braun wants no part of, man. Oh, no. None no, of them no, no. It's just insane. The carnage is insane. The special effects were incredible. Uh, you know, there's the scene where Drogon launches the the, the column of, of flames and lights up all the, uh, the carts and they blow up and stuff like that. Oh, God, yeah. Just an incredible scene. Just an incredible scene. I mean, it really is. And, you know, I, I just think the other takeaways is you, you just see the Dothraki fighting uh, horseback, like you said, standing on top of their horses, which I remember way back to season one when uh, Khal Drogo was still alive and uh, the Khaleesi, you know, Daenerys was, was talking with Ser Jorah. And she was kind of asking them about the Dothraki. And I think he, he gives like a, a stat or a fact where he says that if Dothraki boys can't learn to ride a horse, um, like standing on a horse by age four or five, they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, tossed off a cliff or something like that. So when we see these riders do that, I mean, they've been doing it since they're four or five years old. It's just... Yeah, you're right. Nobody has any idea what to do. I think there's a scene where Daenerys takes a pass and Jamie sees it and he sees his men and he's like, you know, form up, protect yourselves. Dragon Drogo whooshes by the fire and he turns around and he sees his men as ash and the ash just gets blown away. He, he sees other men on fire running towards the lake trying to put themselves out. Well, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I would have no, no idea what to do. It's just it's crazy. And we see that Braun does finally get to the uh, the giant crossbow. I know they, they have a name for it. I can't remember it. Scorpion. Ah, the, okay, the scorpion. He gets a shot off. He misses. He gets a second shot off. He, he does wound Drogo. He's laughing. He's thinking he, he got it. But Drogo writes himself. Oh, my God. Right. This, this was great scene. Well, this and then just, well, Dro- yeah. Drogon comes down. And uh, he's, you know, uh, Bronn's trying to reload the crossbow, and Drogon's right in front of him, and he just lets loose, and Bronn jumps off, but he gets, he just nails the the cross, the the crossbow scorpion. So um, I don't know if they built more than one. My thing with look, here's a nitpick: Why did they bring that with them? It was specifically made for the dragon. Did they know they were going to encounter the dragon? Yeah, that's that's actually a good question. Uh, unless. You know, they do have multiple of them. I, I would think... a siege weapon, too. I don't know. They, it possibly. Or, you know, maybe they think, hey, on the off chance that she does decide to fly her dragons here, let's be ready. Right. I, I would think they would have more than one because I'm sure on some of the towers there in the Red Keep, they have them there perched, armed, ready to go, just in case she does show up there. Uh, but it's just... It's, it's, it's amazing because then... We see uh, a hilltop, and we see Tyrion come over, just watching, and and you could just see the look of horror on his face. He's like, he did not want this. He did not want all this carnage and and right. destruction. And the Dothraki guy is there, and he's just like, you guys don't know how to fight. You know, it's a you know, you and I are are, are history fans, American history fans, and um, yes, it's I'm watching this, and I'm like, you know, it's like. It's if it's it's like during the Civil War if an F sixteen were introduced into one of the battles. You know, exactly. What like what do you do? What would you know General Lee or General Grant do at that moment? Like that's Jamie. Jamie's like, all right, uh, it's a dragon. What do I do? <laughs> like, yeah, put 
put your shields up. Yeah, what do like, I tell he, these guys to do? Yeah, like like you said, like yeah, um, there's the one where she makes the pass, and he's like, he's like, okay, okay, I got this. Archers, come on, let's go. And and he gets the archers to the line, and she's swooping down, and he's timing it. Oh, the arrows just bounce off him. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and those those archers get torched. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I, it's just um. So all right, so he gets hit in the shoulder. Uh, Drogon, drag, uh, Drogon gets hit in mm-hmm. the shoulder. Daenerys lands him and is trying to pull the, the this giant arrow out of his shoulder. And Jamie sees her, and he's he's on his horse, and he sees a spear sticking out of the guy. And he, it's kind of weird because he looks at the spear, and he looks at her, and he looks at the spear. And I remember seeing this the first time. I'm like, oh, my God, please don't. I'm like, don't do it, Jamie. <laughs> right? Because you yeah. know what he's thinking. He's really like, can I do this? Should I do this? And then he starts galloping toward her, and he grabs the spear. And even Tyrion, what is Tyrion? He says two things. He says, "Flee, you fool!" <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He says, um, "Does he?" He he says, "Well, I think he's when he sees he sees no, Jamie he calls him there. an idiot, right? You idiot, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? like he sees him contemplating it, yeah. and he's just like, just leave, just leave. And then when yeah. he starts to do it, he's like, "Flee!" Like get the hell. But going back to talking about what an honorable guy, like what what a you know, this this is something that an honorable knight would do. He's like, I could end this war right now. If I take her out, we're do- you know, th- this whole struggle is done. Yeah, there's a giant dragon there, but I, I could do this. Right. So well, the funny thing is she had she had her back to him as mm-hmm. she's pulling the thing out, and I'm thinking like, Oh my god, is he gonna is he gonna be a queen slayer and stab her in the back? You know, that's what mm. I'm thinking. I mean she does turn around as he gal sort But Tyrion uh, Tyrion says you idiots, right? Or something like that. He's yeah. Galloping toward her, and then he grabs the, the spear and they cut back to Tyrion. He goes, "You, you effing idiots!" You know, and uh, yeah, and then so he's galloping toward her. She turns around, and I remember so distinctly the first time I saw us. I'm like, "Someone's dying. It's either Tyrion or Daenerys." And I go, "The way this show goes, it's probably going to be Daenerys." Um, mm-hmm. So she turns around and she's, you know, like deer in the headlights. She's just like staring at this guy galloping toward him with a spear. And they see Dro- Drogon's head like cut in front of her and he's about to let loose with the flames. And you see uh, Bronn kind of jump off his horse and and jump and grab Jamie and save him. The ho- Drogon, Drogon lets it loose. The horses go up in flames and the two of them fall into the lake. And it cuts, cuts, uh, the scene ends with Jamie falling down into the lake um yeah and then we get credits and i'm screaming at the tv going wait what oh i thought he was i thought well we know what happens i'm gonna say i right i think he dies i thought he died i thought i thought he was dead he's sinking to the bottom he's dead he's dead like i'm like he he'll be a corpse he'll be a charred corpse that comes out of the water or something i I didn't think he made it i thought they both died Um, oh yeah but yeah such a great scene such a thrilling scene it really sets up a lot of good stuff um I, you know, watching this battle back, because it's, like I said, it's a good half of this episode. It reminded me a lot of, you know, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Battle of Helm's Deep, when they all thought everything was lost, and it's like, look to the sunrise, and, you know, they're the riders of Rohan there, and they just come pouring down the hill and just sweep right through the orcs. You know, that's what this was like. I mean, you just saw... because. When you first see the first few riders come over the ridge, you're like, oh, okay. And then when they kind of pan around and you're just like, oh, there's like thousands upon thousands of them. It's 
And this is a TV show. This is a TV show, and they gave us a battle on the scale of like almost like Lord of the Rings. It's right. it's incredible. Right. Yeah, it, it was a great and it was a really really great episode, and they did such a great job with it. Uh, the directing, uh, if it, let me see if it, it had to have won some Emmys. Oh, it has to. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, so what do we have? Where are we at the end of this episode? We have John and Tyrion, Tyrion, uh, not Tyrion, uh, Theon over at Dragonstone. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion is there watching the battle with Mm -hmm. the queen. Um, the battle is technically, as the show, as the episode ends, technically the battle is still going on. Yeah, I guess you could say it is, but to me, it, it looks like it's wrapping up. But yeah, I mean, the battle pretty much yeah. still is going on there. Yeah. Um. So we have what was what we're going to consider her first real victory. Mm-hmm. Um. And and look, the season set up for us to root for Daenerys. You know, so absolutely. That was a really good feeling that she was able to uh, to win one. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, especially like you said, towards the end when he's charging her down. The thought is it's either him or her. Like one right. of them it's, is not making it out. And really until Drogon pops his head up there at, at the last second, I'm thinking, oh, man, he's going to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, I, I really thought she was dead. Yeah, I really thought. And I was like, where are they going to go from here? <laughs> yeah. And then that head just pops up and oh, boy. And I was like, well, nice knowing you, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess we're never going to see him and Brian get together, huh? Oh, wow. Very exciting. It's very, uh, very, very. Like a lot of great stuff happens. This episode. Um, Arya finally getting back to Winterfell. Uh, obviously, the battle. John and Daenerys having kind of a, that quiet moments together. Um, I think this is as close to, up to this point as we saw John. Because I really thought in that cave with nobody looking, John was going to bend the knee. I thought, I, I kind of thought about that, but I thought something might have was going to happen between the two of them romantically. Okay. Like, you know, the two of them are there in the cave. They kind of seem to come to an understanding. But then I think when she said, because especially when she started, she ruined the moment. (laughs) She she ruined the moment by saying, you know, she's like, I'm so into you. I really, really love you. You're so great. Bend the knee. And he's just like, you know what? (laughs) Date's over. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We were about to get it on and you had to bring that up. (laughs) <laughs> oh man so it's, it's like really, yeah it's setting up a lot we don't know what's going to happen to Jamie um, and let's say well we know what happens it's weird talking like this but Jamie if Jamie survives and goes what's he telling Cersei like might be like we cannot fight this war we gotta find a way to come to peace with this woman because we, I mean look what she did to your army um, of course yeah. would never take that but, you know. well because she doesn't see it and I mean the thing is this is the first time anybody on Westeros have seen the Dothraki, you know, and, and some people could say like, ah, it's myth and legend, you know, whatever. Like, again, you go back in American history uh, when, you know, the British or the French would get the Native Americans on their side. There would be these legends of, you know, they're seven feet tall and they're bulletproof and this and that. And when you see the truth, you're like, well, they're men just like anybody else. But when we when Jamie sees what the Dothraki horde could do firsthand, I think he's like, we we can't, we we don't know how to fight this. I, I think even taking dragons out of the equation, he's probably like, they're professional fighters. 
they're fighting for her because they love her. These guys are fighting for us because we're giving them money. And at some point, because you see when they're looking over the battlefield, you see groups of soldiers just, just running away, just running away in fear, which not for nothing I'd probably do too. He's like, we can't win. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Woof. That's amazing. So I looked, I looked it up. It, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe this, but it only got two Emmy nominations for that episode. And one was for uh, Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing for a Drama Series. And the other one was, um, where is it? Outstanding Sound Editing for a Drama Series. What? Like, I don't, did they okay. not give, did they give, did they give stunt awards? I wonder. I maybe yeah, here we go. outstanding oh, okay. stunt coordination for a drama. Se- well, actually, it won for the whole season. Outstanding stunt coordination for a drama series. Mm. It won, so it's not by episode for that. It okay. won the twenty. It won the twenty eighteen Emmy Award for that. Okay, so I guess that was for the whole season. Well, definitely. I mean, stunt people definitely get kudos for this this season. This oh, episode. like you said, you know, setting the record for most uh, stunt people set on mm-hmm. fire. Yeah, I mean. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It's just, it's just, and it ends, it ends, like I said, when this episode ended and the credits rolled, I was like, no, we're not done yet. Keep going. Keep going. It's just, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. So we have, um, yeah, so we have the Dothraki and then Drogon on the road, they call it the Rose Road, I guess, between Highgarden and um king's landing Landing. Mm -hmm. okay uh you have the three of stark children back at winterfell man what is i don't even know what's gonna happen next episode i legit don't know what's gonna happen next episode. (laughs) yeah i know it's it's been a while because just like you i've been going back and and watching other seasons and yeah i i've kind of forgotten what comes next (laughs) but it's funny because i'm i'm binging the other seasons but i'm sticking to our our uh deal of watching season seven one one episode a week yeah to talk about it so um oh okay so all right so season seven episode five is east watch so i have a good idea what happens there and okay um, yeah so that's gonna be thrilling all right any last thoughts on spoils of war i mean i think hands down it's probably one of the better episodes this season and like i it really like you said it really shows that the people at hbo were very willing to put money behind this show because I think if you go back to the first season, I think for me, the most climactic battle in the first season was when uh, Jamie and like the King's watch showed up to arrest Ned Stark. And I was like, wow, look at this. It's like five or six guys dueling. And then they get Ned in the back of the leg with the spear. I was like, wow, that's pretty epic. Yeah. Um, You know, and then you look at this and it's just like, Look, it's season six. You get the Battle of the Bastards, and you're like, they are never gonna beat this. And well, then you get the batter, Battle of Hardhome. <laughs> yeah, and then oh, well, wait, that was season that was, was that was season four of the Battle of the Bastards, right? I yes, because that's when they got more of the. Right. Um, but yeah, even the Battle of the Bastards. Oh my God, how are you gonna top that? <laughs> Yeah, and then so a number of people involved. There were less soldiers, it seemed, in this battle, but the effects and the dragon. At first, and look, we've been waiting six seasons to see these dragons do something. I mean, every once in a while, we get them light, light one dude on fire or something, but we're like, all right. Yeah. But wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, my dragon. God. 
there's also, you know th- th- there's the, there's the scene where where Drogon just like you said sweeps across and they actually they catch it from her point of view riding and then they catch it from the side as if you're a soldier just watching this and it's right. unbelievable it's it's insane and um yeah so uh, you know after season six battle of bastards you're like they're not going to get better and and then they do this and and apparently this season's this upcoming season's battles dwarf those battles they said they said i think i said this last week but they said that the the battle i think they called it the battle of winterfell mm-hmm. is said to be bigger than the battle of helm's deep well that's that's some pretty high stakes because yeah. i mean that's probably one of my favorite cinematic battles of oh, yeah. all time and you're gonna top that with a tv show that's yeah. that's amazing but considering well, that Winterfell is the last, or not the last, it's sort of like the first line of defense against the White Walkers. Right. That's going to be a big battle. Well, not not to plug my other show, but on Nerd and Me, we did our favorite battles. Yes. Uh, we did an episode on our favorite battles, and we we stuck to movies. So I was like, oh, I can't include Battle of Bastards or, or Spoils <laughs> of War, um, which is kind of good. I'm glad we weren't able to. But, yeah, and, and Helm's Deep is, uh, is one of my favorite battles I think I put up there. No, it absolutely is. Yeah. Oh well. Speaking of plugs, John, do you have uh, anything else to plug while while we're finishing up here? No, just you know, me and uh, me and Alan are nerding me. You can find us where where you found Gab of Thrones, and um, and then uh, yeah, Fat Guys in Little Coats, me and Pete talk about our travels and other things. Yeah. Uh, and then Pete and I also do a show, uh, Enter the Nerd Zone, and same thing. You can find it anywhere you find this show. Uh, I also do two others. I do Stuff You Don't Need to Know, which is just movies, TV shows, stuff that I like I talk about, and Defender of the Realm, which is mainly on video games. And once again, uh, I did do an episode on the Telltale Games, Game of Thrones, uh, that they did a while back. So check that one out. Yeah, like I said, join us again next week for Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. Eastwatch. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm starting to remember what happens there. But I will stick to our rule, and I will watch it uh, one week at a time. And as always, a podcaster always pays his debts. And I drink, and I know things. <laughs>